It is my joy and privilege to be here and to share from the Word of God this morning. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And this parable is told to those who, uh, the Pharisees, who loved money, we're told in, in earlier in verse 16. Jesus teaches in verse 13, uh, no one can serve God and money. And then verse 14 says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus for them. And he tells this parable in that context. And so we're going to be talking about comfort and that comes from uh, the parable when uh, Abraham says to the rich man that Lazarus is now comforted here and you are in anguish. So we're going to be talking about comfort and joy. The outline is on page 7, and you can find it there. So, Well, Christmas is over, and from what I've heard, the reports are good. Um, what I mean is, what do you think I mean? That people had fun? Uh, Excuse me. I've heard a lot uh, on the radio uh, about a prosperous Christmas. So we can all be happy because people spent a lot of money. And uh, it's interesting. How often do we hear these types of reports around Christmas time? Um, I remember on Black, after Black Friday, I heard a report on the radio that Amazon said it was their best year ever, and so... People were hopeful because it's going to be a good year. It's, it's interesting because we never hear reports about, uh, you know, the level of hope in society, the level of love that people are feeling in their hearts toward one another. And at this time, when we think about comfort and joy, um, our focus is so obviously uh, often on money and economy. Every election cycle, the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues is how's the economy doing? The implication, I think, is that as long as that's good, we can be happy. We can be comforted. We can have hope that the future is going to look uh, good. So after saying all that, how was your Christmas? Was it stressful? Were you stressed with all the preparations trying to find out what somebody wanted or thinking about what you might get them, trying to find it at the best price, trying to beat the traffic, standing in line at the stores. Were you comforted in the promises of God's word? Christmas can be a very stressful holiday, and it, it often is most stressful. And it's because we're focused on temporary comforts so often. And even the unbelieving culture around us, around us recognizes that we are focused on materialism. And, we, and, and, and they, even the unbelieving culture can recognize that peace and love and joy and those things, that's, that's really what we should be focused on. But yet, our reports are constantly about how things went economically. And why is this? 
Um, I think it's because we like stuff. Even though we know we shouldn't, we like it. We're comforted by it. So since I'm going to be talking about comfort today, I want to start by talking about a definition of, of comfort. It comes from the Latin root, fortis, which means strength. So if you think about a strength that you have in your life, you might say, it's my forte. That's what that means. And it comes with the prefix, which means which, with, rather. So the word literally means, like, with strength. And I looked it up on Merriam-Webster online, and they define the verb as to give strength and hope. Comfort is to give strength and hope. And the noun as strengthening aid. And I was very struck by that because I knew what it meant etymologically, but I thought maybe the dictionary would define it in the way that we use it. But they said nothing about fat mattresses, nothing about soft cotton sheets. The verb means to give strength and hope. So why do we use it to talk about our sheets and our soft mattresses and our nice warm clothes and things like that? And I think the way that we use it implies that we have come to find our strengthening aid in those things. And so I think that's, uh, that, was, that was kind of a wake-up for me when I, when I uh, reached that conclusion. So let's think about our use of comfort and what, how, what it implies about where we find our strength. Well, now we come to our, our parable. Jesus tells this parable of two lives that cannot be more different. The situations cannot be dr- more drastically extreme. We're given few, t- few details about their lives. Jesus talks about what they ate and what they wore. And so we begin with the rich man. There was a rich man. What was he wearing? He was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, if you remember from Jerry's sermon, those of you who are here on Lydia, he talked about Lydia who uh, was a seller of purple fabric and purple dye was very expensive, so by virtue of wearing purple, one is saying to the world, I've got money. So I don't know uh, fashion today, but there are plenty of things that people can wear that just mean, you know, I've got money because by virtue of being able to buy this and wear this. And fine linen is also, since it's fine, uh, an expensive fabric, but it's also comfortable. We use linen today when we go to tropical places in the summertime because it's comfortable and it's elegant, and so we like it. That's what the rich man was wearing, so his situation sounds pretty nice. And what was he eating? He was, well, it says he feasted sumptuously every day. So this is a man who had nothing to worry about in life except for what he was going to wear that day what he was going to eat that day, and then all he had to do was digest it. That's all he had to do every day. So Jesus' audience right now, hearing this, thinks, that sounds pretty good. Maybe some of you are thinking, that sounds pretty good. Nice clothes, get to eat every day. I like that guy. I want to be his friend, or maybe I want to be him. And then we have... The poor man. 
At his gate, the rich man's gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus. What was he wearing? Whereas the rich man was covered in purple, Lazarus was covered in sores. And the fact that you can see that he's covered in sores means that his skin is exposed, which means he's probably mostly naked. And so, whereas the rich man is clothed, Lazarus is not only naked, he's worse than naked because he's covered in sores. I think if you had to choose one of those situations, to be without clothes or to be without clothes and covered in sores, the choice is obvious. So Jesus, Jesus makes these two extremes. What is he eating? Nothing. He's longing day after day to be filled with whatever falls from the rich man's table. So again, you have the rich man clothed and feasting and Lazarus not only naked but covered in sores and starving. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus includes this rather graphic detail about dogs coming and licking his sores. And I don't know what you've heard about this. I seem to remember sometime being told that the dogs were a source of comfort for Lazarus in his anguish. And uh, I don't think that that's true. I looked at some commentaries. They don't think it's true, um, the ones that I consulted. They point out, the commentaries, that in those days, these are dogs in the street. So maybe if you have, some of you have been to third world countries or maybe some places here in the U.S. where there are street dogs. They're not your fluffy golden retrievers. They're dirty, mangy street dogs. So the question arises, why would Lazarus allow these dogs to lick his wounds? And I think the answer is because he couldn't do anything about it. I think he was paralyzed. And it doesn't say that, but there is a clue in verse 20 that that might be the case. It says, at his gate, the rich man's gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Note the passive verb. Lazarus was laid at the gate. He didn't walk over to the rich man's gate and sit there. Somebody had to carry him. And so, since he couldn't move, he most likely couldn't do anything about the dogs coming there. And so, the reason I think that that might be important to draw out is because, again, Jesus is contrasting two situations. The rich man... And Lazarus. And not only is Lazarus' pitiful situation pitiful, but he, he has absolutely no power over it. He can't do anything. He can't get himself up and walk anywhere. He's, he's completely dependent on the mercy of others. And so it's as if Jesus tells this parable, which it's, it's not just the parable of one man who has money and one who doesn't. It's about one who has all the comforts that money can buy and one who has worse than nothing. He has no money, no health, and no power to do anything about it. And Jesus tells, these, tells this parable, these two situations to his audience, and as if he's sort of asking, which seems better to you? 
And the choice is obvious. The rich man is in a much more desirable situation. But then something happens rather abruptly. Lazarus dies. They both die. Lazarus is then taken by angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man is buried. And now everything about those two situations has been reversed. Whereas the rich man was comforted in life by his riches, now he is in anguish. And whereas Lazarus was in anguish, now he is comforted at Abraham's side. And whereas Lazarus was laid at the gate of the rich man and would look up, hoping to be satisfied by the rich man, just a crumb, something. Now it is the rich man in Hades looking up and hoping to be satisfied by a drop of water from Lazarus. And it's as if Jesus is saying, now which seems preferable to you? Now which one would you rather be? And the choice is even more obvious. The rich man's situation was not the most preferable. Now note that they both wanted to be comforted. Lazarus was longing for food. They both wanted to be comforted, but they looked for it in different places. And so now, if you're following along in your bulletin on page 7, we're at point 2. We're going to look at the source of each man's comfort. And so we're going to talk about the source of comfort in life and in death. Because obviously with the drastic change that has happened, one truly was comfortable in life, but not in death. So it's important to ask, not only what is your comfort in this life, but what is your comfort in death as well. So the rich man's comfort, where was it in life? Obviously, it was in his money. Not only in the money, but all that it could buy, all of the comforts that he could get with his money, clothes and food and stuff that made his life comfortable. This rich man is like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. If you remember, he had so much grain that he didn't have to worry about anything. And he tears down his barns and builds bigger barns. And then he says to himself, so you have ample goods for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's a man who is so rich, he doesn't have to worry about anything. He can just sit down. All he has to do is get dressed and eat every day. But as we know, it didn't work out. God calls him a fool and demands his life from him that day. And then the riches profit him nothing. So the rich man thought he had nothing to worry about, but his money actually blinded him to his deepest need. There was a deeper need in life and in death. Your soul, eternal salvation, repentance and forgiveness. What was his comfort in death? Was it his riches? I think not. I don't think he would have... I may be wrong, but I don't think he would have said, I'm going to heaven because I'm rich, because I can buy my way in. And the reason I think that is, will we'll, we'll be clear in a, 
in a minute. I think he trusted in his religion. I think he trusted in belonging to a group of people who were God's chosen people and just assuming that, okay, that all that stuff's good, that's, that's helpful, so I'm going to take care of my life here, and, and when I die, it'll all be okay. And the reason I think that is because he calls this, this dialogue between him and Abraham that we are able to eavesdrop in. He calls Abraham father three times. And that's very interesting. He calls him father, which means what? He recognizes Abraham as Father Abraham, the father of a blessed nation, the one to whom God appeared and promised, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham even responds to him and calls him child. And so we are assured that this man is part of the covenant community, at least externally, the the visible church, the, if you will, the, the people who claim to follow God. And I think he's trusting in his belonging to that group rather than in the content of the religion, which is the promises that were made to Abraham. So he's, he's trusting in his association with Abraham rather in the promises that God made to Abraham. He knew of the promises. He had Moses and the prophets, but he didn't seem to take them to heart because he didn't repent. And we're going to see that in verses 27 to 30. So I'm going to read those. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will, be they, be con- neither will they be convinced if someone raises from the dead. So the fact that they have Moses and the prophets, his brothers, means that he had Moses and the prophets. He was aware of them. He just didn't take it to heart. So what do Moses and the prophets say? When Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment, he responds by summarizing the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. And what does he say about it? He he sums it up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this rich man had the law and and the prophets, had Moses and the prophets, but he didn't do it. He didn't take it to heart. He didn't repent. He didn't love his neighbor. He didn't love God. He loved money. He loved his comfort, not God. He thought he could serve God and money. He thought he could serve money in this world, and God would take care of him when he died. He needed to repent. He loved his money and not his neighbor. There was Lazarus at his gate, hungry. This this man was feasting sumptuously every day. It would have been no problem for him whatsoever to give Lazarus something. But he didn't because he was focused on his comforts. He was in love with the comforts of this life. 
And repenting requires loving God more than stuff. And so if you love your stuff, it will keep you from repenting. This rich man could not accept Moses and the prophets because the cost to him was too great in this life. He had a lot to lose if all of his money is no longer his, but now he's supposed to honor God with it. The rich man, the rich young ruler, was sad because Jesus told him, you lack this, sell everything and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And he was sad. That was too much for him. So the fact that his brothers are in the same situation as he is, they have Moses and the prophets, yet they're not going to listen because they love their stuff, makes the rich man conclude that Moses and the prophets are not enough. If there was a miracle, if there was a resurrection miracle, then they would believe. And so he says, send Lazarus. But Abraham says it's not going to work. Now this is, I think, one of the scariest parts in this, uh, in this parable. Scary, in order to continue our scary Christmas theme of late. It's scary because seeking comfort in the things of this life will cause such severe spiritual blindness that it will blind us even if we see a resurrection. Even if resurrection takes place. Now at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus, the way that Luke has structured his gospel is from from chapter 9 on, there is this continuous progression toward Jerusalem. There is this part in chapter 9 where Luke says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Some versions say he hardened his face or he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. What was he going to do in Jerusalem? He was going to fulfill the law and the prophets. He was going to die for the sins of his people. You see, Moses and the prophets say, love God and love your neighbor, but they also say the Messiah is going to come, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again. Listen to what Luke says, Jesus says, in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and following. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus after he is risen from the dead. He says to his disciples, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer first and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, if you have Moses and the prophets, you should be expecting the Messiah and you should be expecting resurrection. You should be expecting Christ. But loving stuff will keep you, even if you recognize that the Messiah is going to come and die, it will, it will keep you from putting your faith in that, from repenting from things that you need to repent of. And for us today, we have the entire revelation from, of God from Genesis to Revelation. So we know that this resurrection has occurred, and yet even now, we can say, yes, Resurrection has occurred. Jesus has died for the sins of his people. And that's good news because I'm going to heaven when I die. 
and we can still be focused on our stuff in this life and our comforts in this life and assume like the rich man that I'm getting things taken care of here and when I die, God is, God is gonna save me because that's what he does. He's, he sent Jesus and Jesus saves. And so I'm good. But, but if we don't repent, just like the rich man, that does us no good. So Jesus here is essentially saying to the Pharisees and anybody else who's listening, if you do not believe Moses and the prophets, you know, you will not believe when they're fulfilled. And I'm going to Jerusalem to fulfill them, to die, and I will rise from the dead. And even when I rise, you still will not believe because you love your stuff, because it's not going to make a difference to you. So if you do not take to heart the promises of salvation, you won't repent even when salvation is accomplished. So the conclusion here, the rich man loved his temporary comforts that money could buy, and they blinded him to his deepest need, to his eternal salvation, to the need for repentance and forgiveness and comfort in Christ. And now we're going to turn to the poor man. This is much quicker. We're not given many details about what he uh, believed specifically, but we know that since he's at the side of Abraham, he believed not only in his association with Abraham, but in the promises that God made to Abraham. He believed in God, and he found himself comforted. His source of comfort was the same in life and in death as opposed to the rich man who thought, I'm gonna take care of things now and everything's gonna be taken care of for me when I die. Lazarus knew he was absolutely powerless to change his situation, to save himself. His only comfort was in the promises of God. And we'll turn now to the conclusion of the sermon and I will begin I will return, rather, to the beginning. So how do you feel after giving and receiving all those gifts this year? Did you get everything on your Christmas list? Did it make you feel good? It might have. It might be that those things make us feel good. You know, a new gadget, new car seats, you know. Uh, or seat covers that look nicer, that feel nicer, we can be comfortable in those types of things. Or maybe, maybe you will find comfort in your new jeans. And it's funny, I, mean, I got some new jeans, and they're comfortable. And uh, so uh, thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> when I was looking up the word comfort, on Merriam-Webster's website on Wednesday, uh, I went to the homepage and I typed it in, comfort. And then it you know, takes you to the next page, which is that word. And, uh, and since it's the internet and you know, they put advertisements on everything, I got an advertisement, the first advertisement. What do you think it is? Jeans. And what's the advertising slogan? Comfort and joy in denim. 
The, the internet is smart. Yeah. I guess because I typed in comfort, they thought this is going to be a good one. He's looking for comfort. We can give it to him. We are told every day in this world to trust in our clothes, in the impressions that our clothes can make, in the looks that we get, in the way people think about us. Trust in those things. Find comfort in those things. And in your money and in your stuff and in your retirement plan and in your education. And those things are not bad necessarily in and of themselves. But when you start to love those things, long for those things, they become your source of comfort. And they keep you from repenting and trusting God. And they can keep you from loving your neighbor. I read, I read a book, a personal finance book by a Christian uh, and there's a part in it when he's talking about you know, retirement plans, and he compares his retirement plan with that of another. And he says, this other person, you know, they're going to retire. They're going to be able to retire. But when I retire, I'm going to be eating prime rib. And so I thought, well, that sound, sounds good. Prime rib sounds good. But there's something that sounds weird about that. Because... If that's our focus, and again, it's not bad if you have the money for prime rib, but if from, from early on you're planning your retirement and you say, that's what I want, that's what's going to bring me comfort, what if, what if there's a neighbor in need? What if there's a neighbor in the middle of winter whose furnace breaks down and they've got no money? And, I mean, I could lend them some money. I could just give it to them. But if I do that, it's going to be harder for me to eat prime rib when I retire. And so when those things become a source of comfort, source of strength and hope for us in this life, they can keep us from doing the good that God has called us to do. And we no longer love our neighbor, or we're not loving our neighbor as we should. And then it, how should we act about that? Should we, how should we think about that? Should we repent? If we're not loving our neighbor as ourself, then we should repent. Why do people seek comfort in the first place? Um, we all seek comfort. I said that, I think, once already. And we seek comfort now. Why do people seek comfort now? I think it's because we love our lives. We're tempted to love our lives. We're tempted to love how we are now. We're tempted to, this is what we know, this is what we love, this is what we experience, and we want to preserve it. And so what is comfort? Comfort is strengthening aid in, in my situation. I want to preserve what I have. I want to make sure that how, my, how I feel now, I can feel as good as possible for as long as possible. And so we think temporarily, temp temporarily here. And we often do not think of our deeper need, our souls, forgiveness, and eternal salvation. But Jesus says whoever loves his life will lose it, like the rich man. He loved his life, he loved his stuff, but he ended up in Hades. 
lost his life. Whoever would be a disciple of Christ must deny himself. And again, the rich, man, the rich young ruler didn't, didn't like what Jesus had to tell him and went away sad. So I say this morning, forsake the comforts of this world. Do not worry about what you will eat. Do not worry about what you will drink. Do not worry about what you will wear. The pagan culture around us worries about these things. And they use these things in their advertising slogans to get us to buy money. Because as long as we're, right, to spend money. Because as long as we're spending money, the world goes around with our economy and we're all happy. And we're all blinded to our deeper need as the pagan society is. God knows what you need, and he will provide. He knew what Lazarus needed, and he did provide. Even though Lazarus was in anguish in life. So trust Christ. Find your comfort in the one who was rich beyond your wildest imagination, beyond your wildest dreams, and was born in this earth, in a stable that perhaps wasn't shoveled out, and eventually became stripped of his clothes and beaten and covered with wounds, so that we, beggars, poor, powerless, could find salvation and could feast in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus in the presence of our Lord. So I ask you to see yourself today more like Lazarus. Try to identify more with Lazarus. Blessed are the poor, Jesus says. So think about, think about that. How could I think of myself as poor in this life and focus on the riches that are mine in Christ that I will enjoy forever in eternity with him? And maybe you find yourself this morning relating more to Lazarus than with the rich man. Maybe you don't have much money. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen next year as far as uh, economy, as far as your economy, your finances. Maybe you're in pain. Remember this parable. Remember Lazarus. Trust in Christ. Your pain is going to end. Your needs are going to end one day. They will all be fulfilled fully and eternally if you trust in Christ. So do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths will eat your fine linen and where rust will corrode your fine silver plates, whatever they are, where ice storms paralyze, 
where hurricanes devastate, where wildfires consume, where tornadoes uproot, and where the comforts of this life that we enjoy so much blind us to our deeper needs. Do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where you will be comforted in eternal security because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Trust in him today. Let's pray. Father, we do not know what tomorrow holds. We cannot guarantee that we will see tomorrow. But we are certain that you are powerful and that you are able to preserve us, to preserve our lives as long as you have ordained, and to preserve us, our souls, even after death, and indeed to resurrect our bodies one day. And Father, our hope is not in anything that this world affords, but only in what you have accomplished through the sending of your Son who lived, who died, who rose again, and who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of your throne and who outpoured his Spirit on us. We hope only in, in you, in your promises, in your word. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.